From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. While the fundamentals have been consistent over time, our lens has changed, our framework has changed. We now care deeply about the patient's experience. We know that patients are evaluating us based on access. In fact, I would argue that uh, quality is access and access is quality, at least in the patient's mind. That's Elizabeth Woodcock, founder and principal of Woodcock & Associates, talking about her book on patient access. We'll hear more from Elizabeth later. Also, MGMA senior editor Allison Bates joins us to talk about the operations conference. Later, we'll hear from Nate Moore, president of Moore Solutions, Inc., on how to use data to quantify your operations and make your practice more efficient. That's all coming up on this operations-based episode of Insights. But first, a word from our sponsors. Managing an organization's performance covers a variety of functions, including continuously monitoring team member performance, setting expectations, and rewarding the great performances of hardworking employees. Maximizing Performance Management is a results-oriented book that will help you analyze your practice system by system and apply prescriptions that can improve your practice immediately. For more information and to view a preview of the book, visit mgma.com slash performance. Patient access is critical for today's medical practice. Joining me to explain this is Elizabeth Woodcock, author of the book, Patient Access, Tools and Strategies for the Medical Practice. Hi, Elizabeth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, you've got an exciting new product to share with the audience, along with uh, Deborah Walker-Keegan. The two of you recently published the book, Patient Access, Tools and Strategies for the Medical Practice. Um, Give us a little background on that. What led you to writing the book? And if you wouldn't mind providing just a basic foundation, how do you define patient access? I'm so excited to have the book out on the market, and um, it's a great story in terms of why patient access. In 2011, I created an organization called the Patient Access Collaborative, and I've increasingly spent more and more time on this topic, particularly in the past few years. From an operational perspective, patient access is really, in my mind, the crossroads of practice operations and revenue cycle management. And I should mention, Daniel, let me state for the record that the focus here is on the ambulatory enterprise. That is the physician office setting. As one can imagine, there are significant access issues for the emergency department, medical transportation, the operating room, et cetera. But for our purposes, patient access is defined by the three pillars of telephone handling, call handling, call management, schedule optimization, all of the work behind appointment templates, and last but not least, once the patient gets in, the ambulatory operations, that is the running of the clinic. Elizabeth, you've been in this industry for 25 years, you said. I'm assuming that you've been researching and writing about patient access for a good part of that time. I'm just curious about this. Have the fundamental issues and barriers changed over time or do they basically remain the same? 
I think the fundamental issues are the same. Frankly, this is all a matter of supply and demand, kind of basic economics. In our case, it's the amount of providers time, physicians, advanced practice providers that we have dedicated to the office to see patients. And then on the flip side, it's the demand of patients for those appointments. You know, it's interesting though, Daniel, because I think a page out of my own personal experience, uh, however, shows the change in thinking over time. When I started off in practice management, our orthopedics clinics had only two appointment times, one at 9 a.m. where we scheduled 60 patients and another at 1 p.m. where another 60 patients were scheduled. The notion of no-shows, late arrivers, and frankly, the entire appointment template, I mean, they really didn't matter. What also didn't matter, at the time at least, was the patient's experience. Access was purely focused on us, the provider side. It's interesting because what's also changed is the fact that at that time, we hired receptionists simply to smile. We didn't care about insurance verification, eligibility, or any of those other critical front-end revenue cycle processes. So in sum, while the fundamentals have been consistent over time, that supply and demand, our lens has changed, our framework has changed. We now care deeply about the patient's experience. We know that patients are evaluating us based on access. In fact, I would argue that uh, quality is access and access is quality, at least in the patient's mind. And we also recognize the importance of uh, these points of access into our ambulatory setting, which truly define the success of our revenue cycle. So even though the fundamentals have stayed the same, the framework has certainly changed. Well, I was lucky enough to receive a, a copy of your book yesterday, and I want to compliment you on that. I've, I've worked in books and the book industry for a decade or so, and it really does take a complete and holistic view of patient access. For the sake of this podcast, I really wanted to focus in on the telephone. You were talking about that earlier, and it looked like the telephone in one form or another, it really does serve as the focal point or of a number of your chapters. Um, in this age, I have to ask this, in this age of advancing technologies, why does the telephone continue to play such an important role in patient access? Well, Daniel, let me start off by saying that I sure wish it didn't. And why? Why do I say that? Well, the telephone requires synchronous communication, meaning that you and I must be on the line at the exact same time. Wow. It's also hard to manage because it naturally comes in waves. That is inbound calls. There are always a bolus of calls, for example, that we have to handle on Monday morning. That's just the nature of healthcare. It's interesting, though, because increasingly medical practices are realizing the value of self-service, encouraging patients and caregivers, as well as referring providers uh, to self-serve. That is to request a prescription refill, to schedule a follow-up appointment, and so forth without the telephone. So I think our reliance on the phone is changing right now, but uh, we still know that it is the main access, the communication point for our patients today. So it's got to be well managed. And do you see, is there any difference between sort of the aging population, which often make up uh, the biggest population in, uh, of patients in a medical practice versus 
our younger groups, such as the millennials, uh, are the are those older patients more reliant on telephone, those traditional methods of communication? Well, fortunately, our awesome seniors are actually increasingly uh, getting on and adopting and implementing our patient portals or our patient communication devices that don't rely on the phones. And of course, the other big group that relates to that category of patients are patients' caregivers. So people like me who uh, care for my mother-in-law, I am all over my uh, patient portal for my mother-in-law because it helps me remotely be able to assist in managing her care. So I think that is changing and it's exciting to see that change. But now we're in sort of this crazy world where we're managing both the telephone as well as that remote communication. So it's a tough time for practices, no doubt. Sure. Now. Since you've made a strong point that telephones are here to stay, at least in the immediate future and the present, um, what are some of the best practices for managing the telephone in a medical practice? Well, Daniel, I think it starts with data. And that's how I would, of course, frame any performance improvement initiative. Understand your performance related to service level, average speed to answer, abandonment rate, and other key telephone-based metrics. And then second, know your configuration. And when I talk about configuration, I'm talking about how your telecommunications system, your actual system is set up, how calls are routed, what is your call distributor, how is it set up, et cetera. And then determine the workflow that supports it. How have you deployed the management of phone calls? Why do patients call? referrals, appointments, billing questions, et cetera, and then who and how are they being managed? And I will tell you, it's this who is accountable that really is uh, critical. Otherwise, uh, patients will suffer and your patient experience ratings will cause your practice to suffer as well, unless you get this right. That sounds great. Well, Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you. To find out more about Elizabeth's book, including a preview chapter, visit mgma.com access7. That's access, then the number seven. In its second year, the MGMA Operations Conference is a chance for people to get together and learn how the top industry performers are achieving success. Senior Editor Allison Bates is here today to speak about what we can expect from the conference, which is coming up April 14th through 16th in Austin, Texas. Allison, you're in charge of the operations conference this year. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What's the overall concept? What are the themes for this show? And who in a medical practice should attend? The operations conference is designed to get a variety of healthcare professionals, everybody from the C-suite to the front desk, large health systems, small independent practices, really everyone to come together and discuss the current issues and trends in the business of practicing medicine. We'll be featuring tools, case studies, and a full schedule of speaker sessions on topics like patient access, population health, digital communication, value-based operations, and a lot more. One of the big draws for an industry conference are the keynote speakers. Who do you have on tap this year? This year, we're really excited to have two great general session speakers. 
The first one we have up on Sunday evening is Steve Marsh. He is the founder and CEO of the Medicus firm. And he's going to be speaking about building and maintaining a positive workplace culture in healthcare. Uh, he did a similar session at our annual conference last October, and it was a huge success. So we've asked him to come back and build upon that into a full-length general session. And I think it's going to be really great. Uh, he's just going to be talking about how to keep that positive attitude in your organization which we all know can be tough sometimes. So he's gonna be talking about passion, energy, enthusiasm, and I think it's gonna be a really great way to kick off the conference. Then we're closing the conference on Tuesday with uh, Steve Uzel. Now Steve is a former National Geographic photographer and he's gonna be speaking to us about change. His session is called Form Follows Flow, the forces of change. And I'm really excited about this session. It's not going to be your average PowerPoint slideshow. He's going to be showing some of his award-winning photographs, and he's going to use those to talk to us about what he believes are the four forces of change. Curiosity, passion, commitment, and accountability. So I'm really looking forward to that. Now, have you had a chance to see any of the photos? Like, does he have a photo exhibit or anything like that? I'm just curious, are these photos of, you, you think of National Geographic, you think of animals and mm -hmm. Africa and all these exotic places. Are they photos like that? Are they workplace photos? You know, I'm not entirely sure because this is one of his newer keynote sessions. Okay. Um, but if you go to his website, which I believe is just steveuzel.com, you can see a few examples of his photographs. And a lot of them are nature. Um, I believe he was employed for a time by a, a long distance freight company. So a lot of them are trucks driving through scenic places. I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how he uses these images that seemingly have nothing to do with healthcare and uses them to tell a story that anyone can relate to, but then especially people in healthcare who have to deal with change on a daily basis. Right. No, that is a fantastic get because as I was saying earlier, the, the keynotes can really drive a show. They kind of set the tone and we saw that with Simon Sinek and Mel Robbins at our annual conference and that really can just make, make or break a show. And so those are two great speakers. You also have some other great speakers that you've had a chance to talk to already. Tell me about some of those. Sure, yeah. We've actually got 20 different sessions lined up, aside from the general sessions, in addition to three pre-conference workshops. Um, but I did speak to a couple of our speakers, um, got them on the phone just to chat a little bit about what they're going to be telling us about. One of those is Craig Cordola. He's the president and CEO of Ascension Healthcare based right there in Texas. And he's giving a session called Virtual Care Technologies, Connect with Patients Where and When They Need You. So this is obviously a really hot topic in healthcare right now, um, this idea of telemedicine and virtual care. So it was really interesting to sit down with him and, and get a little taste of what his session is gonna be about. Let's take a listen. And we typically think of healthcare as being pretty traditional with patients going into a facility to receive care. But with the growth of technology really across the country and the world, um, it's actually making a pretty significant impact in healthcare as well. Uh, I think, you know, I think it's important to know that consumers are really demanding easier access and more custom customized solutions for their healthcare. 
And there's a lot of new entrances that have entered this space, uh, direct to consumer, direct to patient, uh, wearable technologies and others, uh, and finding ways to really connect to the healthcare delivery system of their choice. And the other thing that's, I think, taking place behind the scenes is we historically been paid when we do things to patients, but at the same time, we all know that there's a pretty significant shift towards value-based healthcare. And as we get paid more for outcomes or for managing a population of patients and families, it's going to be really important for health systems to find a way to connect and provide kind of that end-to-end patient care experience that's both convenient and accessible for patients and families. And that could be home, that could be work, could be school. And then also the element of price sensitivity as patients and families look for lower cost options. What are some of the common challenges you typically see uh, organizations have as they try to introduce these technologies? Well, as a CEO of a health system, I can tell you that we're often inundated with really amazing technology platforms and ideas. But at the same time, it's real hard to understand which ones are going to work and really meet the needs of the patient as well as our health system. And so I'd say one challenge for us is just figuring out who's the right partner for us in order to deliver that technology platform to care for patients and families. But then the other thing I'd say is that, you know, a lot of these technology solutions and platforms have pretty much been commoditized. I mean, they're more and more entrants, lower and lower price points, um, but we really haven't seen virtual care scale to what I think it has its full potential. Um, And so virtual care historically has been pretty siloed or pretty small scale impacting a small number of people. I think the challenge that we have is how do you take an idea that is meaningful and determine how to scale that to a broader population that works well for them, but then also works well for the health system. And then I think there's often a mistake that technology or an application or purchasing a thing is going to solve a really complex problem. And the reality is that it's the overall infrastructure and platform, and probably more importantly, there's still the people element that really empower the logistics of telehealth as an example, making sense of the different components that are coming in, the patient needs, um, and then ultimately still providing direct clinical care to that patient or family, but just in a different way with a telemedicine platform. And so I think it's important not to forget the significant uh, contribution that people make. And and in many cases, it's a combination of people, process, and technology. But oftentimes, we get focused on the technology as a solution without really solving the process or the people part as well. I really like what he said toward the end there about not forgetting the human component, the people component, uh, when we talk about all of these new technology solutions in healthcare. Exactly. I mean, I, I know it's, uh, it, it's a huge leap because we get caught up in the, you know, the data, the technology, but at the end of the day, it's people we're talking about. So that is an important topic. I also had the chance to talk with Jennifer Thompson, the president of Insight Marketing Group. Her area of expertise is social media and other mar- digital marketing methods, uh, specifically in the healthcare space. Her session is titled, Welcome to the Age of Social Media Customer Care. Let's take a listen at what she had to say about her session. And why is it vital for doctors and practice administrators to understand the ins and outs of social media? 
Well, it's because the patient experience now begins and ends online. And what I mean by this is that oftentimes the first step in choosing a provider, whether it's a referral from a PCP or maybe the patient's new to an area, or maybe they're just simply trying to do some research looking for a particular specialty. And that kind of that first step is to go online and see what is being said um, about a physician or about a practice. And then more often than not these days, the first place that patients are going afterwards is online to leave a review or heck, even like when they're in the practice sitting there waiting for the appointment to occur, they might even, even be having those interactions online at that point. So it's vital for doctors and practice administrators to understand it because everything related to the patient experience is starting and ending online. Social media in general, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or you name it, I mean, it's a place where there's, you know, there's two-way communication that's taking place at this point. And those conversations are taking place about healthcare. Absolutely. So when a doctor or practice understands that now that this is important, um, what's the first step in, in developing a plan for managing it? What's the first thing they should think about doing? All right. So the first thing I would suggest is to make sure that you've got all the right players on the team. Um, way back in the day, you know, social media, especially, this kind of like was relegated over to the marketing department or somebody who didn't have a, you know, maybe a, an active role in delivering care to the patient. Maybe it was just somebody at the front desk and they were kind of in charge of marketing. Um, now you need actual players on the team that understand the practice. Somebody that you would trust to handle customer service should be handling your online customer service. It shouldn't be relegated to just some intern maybe or, you know, a lower level employee. The second thing I would do is make sure that there is a monitoring system in place. You know, you've got to have, um, usually it's subscription-based software, but you need to have a monitoring system so that anytime anyone says anything about your provider or about the practice online, that you have a system in place that you're going to receive those alerts. Because you, if you don't know what people are saying, then you don't know how to deal with it. And so I think that's, um, that's a critical piece. And I think that a lot of practices at this point have some sort of reputation monitoring, you know, are they actively in it? Not all the time, but um, they at least have the reputation monitoring in place or know about these kind of services. The next thing I would do is have a game plan for responding to negative and positive feedback. We like to tell all of our folks that we work with to have maybe a dozen, two dozen like canned responses ready to go so that they're, they're HIPAA compliant, they are geared towards getting that conversation offline if necessary, but that you're not having to craft a response in the moment. You just have a handful of, of responses ready. And I think that's an important piece to the equation that sometimes, you know, you don't want to wait till there's a fire to go get a fire extinguisher. Just keep the fire extinguisher near you. I'm really looking forward to this session because she makes a lot of great points about how social media has changed the way we interact these days and it's no different no matter what kind of business you're in, whether you're a doctor or a restaurant. So I'm looking forward to Gen hearing Jennifer speak for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was cool that she includes the entire team. You know, it's not just one person talking about social media or managing it, but it's the entire team. So that will be a really good session. What else can attendees look to do while they're at the event and beyond? Well, 
Austin is a really exciting city. Uh, it's known for its live music, its delicious barbecue. There seems to always be something going on. Uh, I was just looking for myself the other day on different tours that you can take. Um, there's There are ghost tours at night. Apparently there's a lot of history there. It is the capital of Texas. And the conference will be hosted at the Fairmont, which is a fantastic hotel. And it's only a few blocks from historic 6th Street where a lot of Austin's action takes place. Allison, where can our listeners go to register or learn more about the operations conference? It's easy. Just go to mgma.com events and you'll see the operations conference right there on that landing page. I wish I could go with you and the rest of the gang from MGMA, but y'all have a great time there in Austin and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Daniel. To better understand medical practice operations, it's important to have a way to measure it. To make sense of the data, we're joined by Nate Moore, president of Moore Solutions Incorporated. Hey, Nate, thanks for being here. Thanks, Daniel. It's always good to be with you. Well, before we get started on the questions, um, tell, tell our audience a little bit about your background in healthcare and medical practices. For those of you that have not heard me speak at an MGMA events, I am the data guy. I'm a CPA, an MBA. I have I'm a fellow in the American College of Medical Practice Executives. Uh, I've run a uh, radiation cancer group for uh, a bunch of years and got frustrated that there was data out there in my system and I couldn't get at it and the practice management system knew more than it was telling. So I really started getting into the, the, the numbers and the data to try to get to the factors that drive a medical practice. And so I've been out speaking for MGMA and for other national groups for the last, oh, 10 years or so about how to use your data and how to take advantage and make decisions based on data in medical practice. Talking about data, in a recent MGMA stat poll, we found that only 20% of organizations surveyed are highly satisfied with their patient access process. And I wanted to ask you a few questions about patient access. So first off, what are some of the main stumbling blocks that medical practices have with patient access? Patient access is a trick because there's, there's a couple of moving pieces to it. The first piece is the, the providers. I mean, as part of MGMA stat survey, they said, you know, you could comment on it after. Most of the stat questions are just, you know, answer, you know, ABC, one, two, three kind of thing. But this one lets you put uh, some comments in. And some of the comments were very telling. Um, one of the comments was physicians are allowed to change schedules too frequently and with very little advance notice. Another one said, we could always do better, but some of the providers have too much say about their schedule. And so I think the first challenge, Daniel, is, is the culture around who has control of the schedule and how often can we change this template? And are we going to be open on weekends and Saturdays? And are we going to, you know, are we, have we got providers that will meet patient access needs? That's the first challenge. And then you've got a challenge around technology and trying to make sure that your, your patient portal and the, the, the ways your patients can interact with your practice work. I mean, some of the other comments from MGMA stat about portals were, they were really, really frustrating. People were embarrassed by their portal. And one of them said, my patient portal is terrible. And so trying to marry the technology with the culture around who has control of the schedule and how are we going to meet patient access needs makes patient access a tricky problem. So you got stumbling blocks around technology and you got stumbling blocks around providers and culture and how are we going to 
respond to patient needs. It's a, it's a mind shift from something like retail where we're going to be open anytime a patient's going to come to the medical practice where, you know, hey, we're there eight to five and you'll wait to get in kind of thing. Now, Nate, you've been kind enough to write articles from time to time for MGMA.com. You wrote a, a data story on patient access. And in that article, you wrote about a couple of interesting concepts, time to third and days to schedule. And I wanted you to tell our audience what you mean about what you mean by those concepts and what our audience can do to implement them into their practice. Absolutely. There's, so when we're talking about patient access and you're talking to the data guy, there's got to be a way to measure this, right? And so here's two different ways you might think about starting to measure patient access in your practice. The first one's called time to third. It's been around for a long time. And what practices will do is they will try to figure out when the third next available appointment is for a given provider. And the reason they do the third next available, Daniel, is they're trying to smooth out some of the noise in the data. If there happens to be a cancellation or two that's right close and makes it look like the provider's available tomorrow, but they're really not available for three or four or five weeks, what the third next available does is it takes the third next open appointment on the schedule and it tracks that to try to say, all right, how hard is it to get in to see this provider? And then what folks will do is they'll say, well, what about if it's a new patient or what if it's an established patient? And so some of the groups I work with will track two third next available numbers, the third next available for a new patient and the third next available for an established patient visit to try to get a sense for how hard is it for an established patient to get in to see a provider or, or a new patient to get in to see a provider. And then the thing about time to third is, I, I work with an orthopedic group who measures this and what they used to do is they used to pay somebody to come in 45 minutes early every day and try to make an appointment with their dummy Mickey Mouse patient with every provider and for a new patient, every provider for an established. And then they'd like manually count the days, Daniel, to figure out, okay, is that, wait a minute, that's, you know, that's a weekend. I can't count that. And I didn't count this day, but I should count that. And they're trying to do this manual process. And it was just a nightmare. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Your system knows all this stuff. Your system knows when the third next available appointment is. What we need to do is teach SQL Server to go out and do the math crunch the numbers and store it for you. Because really the, th the thing about time to third is you want to trend this thing. I mean, if it used to be 15 days, say a year ago, is it 18 days now or is it 13 days now? Is it getting better or worse? And then what I've seen groups do is measure time to third by subspecialty. Again, the orthopedic group. If, is, it, is it getting harder to see a hand doc or a sport doc? Or is it getting harder to see a spine or a joint doc? And so they'll split up their providers into teams or groups and they'll look at those teams for new and established patients, and it gives them a sense for, is patient access getting better or worse in my practice? Let me talk a bit about days to schedule, and then let's compare the two. So time to third is, I'm gonna go find the third next available appointment and store it, hopefully automatically, and then trend that over time. What days to schedule does is, rather than take one appointment a day and say, when's the third next available appointment for today, and when's the third next available appointment tomorrow, what days to schedule does is it looks at every appointment in the system and it says, okay, the practice management system will store the date the appointment was created in the system and it stores obviously the date of the appointment. And so what you can do is you can do the math or count the number of days between the date the appointment was created and the date of the appointment to try to get a broad sense of how long does it take to schedule appointments and patients in my practice. Now there's some pros and cons to both. One of the advantages of days to thirds, it kind of gives you one number that you can trend over time and you're not messed up, if you will, 
with, hey, this patient, you know, their day off is Tuesday and we happen to have three Tuesdays booked in a row, or this patient could only come in on this certain schedule and it made it harder to get in or whatever. What the third next available does is it says, hey, I'm going to count that time to third and that's my number. I've got a number for every day and I can find it. The disadvantage is that you really can't go back to 2018 and try to figure out what was the time to third next available appointment in July, say, because there's so many appointments and changes that have moved since that day that if you decide you want to start tracking time to third, you've really got to start tracking it now and look forward. You can't go back and calculate it historically. Now, on the other hand, days to schedule, you can go back and get historical data because 2018, 2016, 20, however far back you want to go, appointments are all going to have a create date and they're all going to have the date of the appointment. And you can do the math in there and say, all right, here's the number of days that it took to schedule for 2016, 17, 18 appointments. So you can get historical data. The other thing you can do with the days to schedule, the historical, how long does it take to schedule every appointment in my, in my entire PM system will do is it'll let you say, well, what if it's a Medicare patient? Well, what if it's a patient that um, is in this, maybe this zip code is only going to go to this um, location, the far furthest west location, say. Or what if I want to see a patient with these specific characteristics and how long does it take them to get in? You can get that kind of information and that more granular data from a days to schedule approach as opposed to time to third, because time to third is a prospective, I'm going to start storing it today and looking forward approach, one, one maybe two appointments a day, maybe a new appointment and the days to third for an established patient, and that's all you're going to store. So days to schedule can give you a lot more data points. And, and, and what I've seen practices do is I say, well, what should I do? Maybe should I do one or the other? And I say, if you can do both, sometimes it's helpful to see both to see some trends and understand, hey, if I'm going to hire a new orthopedic surgeon, do I want a hand guy or am I looking for you know, a sport doc or what am I looking for? Where's my, where's my access changing? And I think the other thing you want to do once you've got these metrics, Daniel, is you want to compare yourself to your market. I was in a conference last year and somebody said, you know, we can get away with four, five, six months days to schedule because we're a couple hours away from any of our competing practices that are in this specialty. And, and to get to there, most people won't go that far. And another, another one said, well, you know, I'm in a university setting and the university is six to nine months out. And so if we're three months out, you know, we're a bargain. Everybody's ecstatic. So it's really a market-specific thing. I can't tell you, hey, if my days to 30 is 3 or 30, if that's good or bad. It really depends upon your specialty and your market and your environment as you try to look at these measures. Long answer to a short question, but that's what I'd think about when I'm trying to measure patient access. Before we end the call, uh, any final thoughts you might have on uh, patient access, things that medical practices can do to improve those efficiencies or to just... Uh, not be scared of the data and the tracking because you, you're a self-proclaimed data guy. Uh, what about for these people out here who may not be as data proficient as you are? What, what shortcuts can they take to help improve their processes? Let me throw two ideas at you. One more idea of something to track. And then the second one, how to start tracking data, how to, how to get your feet wet, how to get started. One more piece of information you might think about tracking, and this one's hard too. Another MGMA stat poll came out, and about half the people didn't have a way or weren't currently, you know, tracking this metric. But the, the metric is appointments that go unfilled, unsold, if you will. And so what you, what you ought to think about tracking is, okay, for the last month or two months or however far back you can go, 
how many appointments did we have on the schedule that it wasn't a no-show, Daniel. It wasn't a cancellation. It was never filled in the first place. And so, you know, we're a lot like the airline industry. Once that plane's in the air, you know, the empty seat's unsold and it's, it's gone. That opportunity to sell the seat's gone for good. And so you might think about trying to find a way in your system to track unsold appointments and say, all right, I want to know how many appointments by location, by provider, by day, by time of day, by type of appointment. Sometimes folks get so picky with their template that they're looking for a blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, BMI between 20.4 and 20.45. And that's the kind of patient I want to see in this slot. And it's, and they're so picky in particular that the slot goes unfilled where if we're a little more flexible around our schedule, we can be more efficient with the schedule. So idea, one more thing to track is think about tracking unsold appointments. And when the plane's taken off empty and we're not filling those seats, look at that and say, make sure we're not roping off seats and we're making it too hard to fill those seats and we're never going to fill them. We want to fill as many seats as we can on that airplane to be profitable. And then for folks trying to get started on the data, I think start small. Don't try to run the marathon. Crawl. Grab one set of data that matters to your practice. And, and especially data that you can get out of your PM system. If it's hard or if you're going to need IT help to get that data, set that aside. Maybe that's phase two or three. Phase one is to get data you can access. Maybe it's no-show data or appointment cancellations. Maybe you, there's a way your system will track third next available. Or maybe you can get somebody to help you get the SQL data out. Now you got SQL Server data that tells you your um, days to schedule, and you can start to do some calculations. There's a terrific tool in Excel called Pivot Tables. If you haven't played with Pivot Tables, you ought to learn Pivot Tables because if you've got a ton of data, there's no better way to slice and dice and understand trends in your practice. And that's where I'd start. I'd start small with one piece of data, learn Pivot Tables, learn a tool to analyze that, get a couple of insights, act on those insights, see a change in your practice, and let it roll from there. Well, Nate, that, those are wonderful insights, and thanks so much for joining us today. Daniel, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks again to Nate Moore. If you'd like to hear him speak live, you can meet him at the Operations Conference on Monday, April 15th, beginning at 4 p.m. in Austin, Texas. For more information or to get registered for the Operations Conference, visit mgma.com slash tocreg. That's T-O-C-R-E-G. Well, that concludes our operations episode. Thanks again to our guest, Elizabeth Woodcock, Nate Moore, Allison Bates, Jennifer Thompson, and Craig Cordola. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. Every review helps new listeners find the show. Don't forget to check out our other series, Industry Insider, where we have full interviews and go deeper on the biggest trends and challenges medical practices face today. If you have any questions, concerns, or ideas, email us at podcast at mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Craig Weberg, Declan McGee, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.